Hello everyone, this is Mark. What makes a great coach? Great coach, the one that takes people from point A to point B in a way that is natural, compassionate, and productive for everyone. Welcome everyone, this is Mark Guy with Speak Brave Podcast. Uh, I have John here with me, my trusted ally and friend. John? Thank you. you Appreciate it. It's good to be here. Thank you. Today, I'd like to talk about coaching. Coaching for compassion, not coaching for compliance. There's a big difference. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about, John? I sense it, but I'd like to hear more. Okay. A lot of times we find, and we're going to talk about business, we're going to talk about sports, we're going to talk about personal relationships. A lot of times I've seen in organizations and businesses where someone is assigned a coach or a mentor or maybe a manager is trying to help a colleague go up in the organizational structure, go up the ladder. And a lot of times I see managers, maybe just they don't know any better or there's so much pressure from other constraints within organization where they do coaching, but they coaching for compliance, such as, and they use the words, you should, should, should. When you say the word should, what happens in your brain? It becomes a, I better do it or else. That's right. And also, it creates a cascade, a cascade of emotion and feelings that are defensive in nature. And therefore counterproductive. That's right. Because when you create a defensive mechanism in your brain, you and me, anyone, shuts down. Shuts down from possibility of other options. And I've seen it before. And I've seen it in people who have the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. They want to get the job done. They want to get the results, but they go about coaching in a way that is less effective. In fact, it's destructive. I agree. I've seen that before. Have you seen it before in your life? Can you give me an example? In the years that I was working, I, first of all, want to say that the last company I was with, which I was with 17 years before I retired, I never once had a bad uh, leadership problem. In other words, I was fortunate, and I tell people this, that uh, the supervisors in particular who were my immediate superiors were some of the best supervisors one could have. Very little conflict. There were occasional disagreements, even arguments. But at the end of the day, they were people that I had profound respect for because they truly not only wanted me to be successful, but they were willing to get in there and show me and help me understand why this would benefit me and help me to perform better. So they always worked with the idea of me being successful as a producer. On the other hand, I have seen individuals who, particularly supervisors, who because of their personality traits, Mm -hmm. they, they have this sense that it's kind of like you've been here long enough. I don't need to tell you what to do. Well, is somebody approached you that way? Like they, no, I'm talking they, about they, I've seen this with other people. They expected you to know? Yeah. Okay. Was, Without having a clear communication yeah. that, that is transparent. And they really don't even know the personality of the individual and their specific traits and their specific assets. Mm-hmm. And also knowing what a person's assets help you understand what they're weak at. And can you help them with that weakness? And I've seen situations where conflict has been created and became just basically irreconcilable almost because this conflict became very personal. Mm. And that individual began to dread coming to work because they just didn't know what they were in store for every day, but it was certainly not something that they looked forward to doing. Because of somebody in superior position created an environment that is not safe and also judgmental? 
Yeah, and I'm, that right? when we say not safe, we're saying not safe as far as being able to work without the fear that somebody is going to drop a hammer on your head. Oh, wow. That is that is major. One of my very favorite books, and I think I mentioned this to you before, John, and also in a podcast. Do you remember I was talking about the publication called Crucial Conversations? Uh, yeah, you've referred to it back in the past, and very interesting book. Have you read it? No, I've only... Okay had okay. the opportunity to talk with you about it's amazing. it and it's amazing. some of the references that you have used and you're in the, right in the in a book it's actually it's produced or have been it's a work of five authors and it's interesting the way you read the book and the way like for example you read the book right and it's from the first person right from the first person voice but in that book crucial conversation every time uh, the authors refer to them they say we we the authors and it, and it just breaks the flow a little bit of reading, but the content is so good that I don't mind it. Do you understand the difference? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when when Stephen do. King writes, he writes from the point of view of character of this woman or this man or this child or whoever it is. But this book is a management book, and they're very clear. It's kind of rigid a little bit, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they try so hard, and the content that they have created is excellent. Mm-hmm. I recommend Crucial Conversations. I'm not a publisher nor do i get any affiliate revenue i love the book i recommend it it will change your life in it the authors right we the authors i'm just going to refer to it from this point on they say if you want to create a sustainable change or desired change move someone and it's a process it's not going to be overnight they have used many different techniques they call they talk about the concept that was new to me it's called creating a safe zone yeah I like that. Yeah. I like that. Creating a safe zone. And how do you create a safe zone with someone? That is the safe zone. What they talked about is every time you there's a conflict, there's always going to be a conflict of some sort somewhere, right, in an organization. Mm-hmm. And what happens in a conflict sometimes? People either go into silence or violence. Agreed. Okay. So silence is somebody retreats into their place that they don't want to leave that some in their shell in their cubicle in their office and they want to stay there and just do the very minimal or they go into violence and what does violence uh, come across in the workplace violence sometimes i think is a harsh term but conflict conflict violence where they go in aggression and Mm -hmm. they They accuse Mm -hmm. and they it's everything every all the worst traits that are Hidden brings out the worst in us. It brings the worst in us. So, in a conflict, can produce two outcomes: silence or violence. So, you as the leader, leader in your unit, in your organization, you're responsible to create a safe zone. If there's a conflict already in place, mm-hmm. and you inherited the conflict, or you see conflict has have happened, how do you bring this back? How do you bring the person back into the discussion? First, you create a safe zone. Create safety. Check for safety. Check for understanding. Your friend, um, what is, remember, um, she's an aspiring speaker, um, Michelle. Michelle yes. Bowie. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Michelle Bowie. What I like about her, she, do you know sometimes you meet people and sometimes you think, well, we have nothing in common or we're going in two different directions or we live two different lives. But sometimes somebody says just two, three key words and instantly you know you connect with that person on mm-hmm. a deep level. Yes. What have, Michelle have told me, she said, check for understanding. When you have a conversation with someone, when you want to move people in a different direction or want them to buy into your decision or somehow achieve something together, 
She said those three words, check for understanding. That's a selling check trait. Check for understanding. Have you ever heard that before? Yes, I have, but I've heard it from Michelle. Yes. Because it was she when I first heard her speak, yeah. she actually referred to it. Yeah. And it was important because it reminded me of a selling technique, which is never spend so much time talking about the product that you fail to find out yeah. if, in fact, the prospect yeah. is understanding the message that you're sharing with them. Because understanding is what creates the ability for them to see the value. Exactly. And understanding. One of my friends, um, David, he is a researcher and... Uh, just a social science enthusiast. Mm -hmm. He believes 100% that understanding is more powerful than belief. Now, I will invite him to the show and he can explain it further for the audience. But don't you think it's a little bit um, interesting perspective? I think it's a great perspective. Understanding is stronger and more powerful than belief. And I just want him to explain it. Oh, yeah. I I want him to explain it because that's coming up in the future episodes. But... Going back to the crucial conversations, you have a conflict, you're a leader, what do you do now? Fight for safety. Not mm-hmm. fight for safety, but create safe zone. Always create safe zone. Mm-hmm. And what the authors in the book in Crucial Conversations, they say, there's something called a pool of knowledge. Now, a pool of meaning. I'm sorry, pool of meaning. So when you withdraw from the conversation, what do you do? You don't add any information to the pool of meaning. You come with nothing. You come with nothing. You just retreat into your shell and you try to focus in on what it is you do and you want to be left alone. Yeah. But the pool of meaning is important. Like, for example, we're sitting at the table. So in the book they say pool of meaning, but I call it the truth, (laughs) the table of truth. Mm -hmm. Like, we are getting together the table of truth and we have to put all the information that we have, all that we think about, what we want to, we create we lay it all on the table. There's a high degree of discomfort with that, though. There is. And you, as a leader, who is a skilled leader, there's few things to keep in mind. Number one, safe zone, safe zone, safe zone. You withhold judgment for some time. You will still be a judgmental person. And we all are. And when I say judgmental, it may rub people the wrong way. But we are. We are wired to judge why because we need to survive we need to have shortcuts we need to have decisions quickly that's that's the way that life calls for us to to survive mm-hmm. but when you create this truth knowledge this pool of meaning you withhold judgment for some time you let the other person talk it's not easy to do because it requires you to do a number of things. You've heard me talk of focus. Yeah. And one of the things I first had to learn to do in order to become more successful in my communication with people, particularly with clients, was I had to create a zone whereby my connection to them demonstrated to them or gave them the perception I actually cared to hear what they had to say Mm -hmm. and was eager to learn from them and to know more. This is something that has to be practiced and worked because I think we tend to think more about our own personal survival and we don't realize that sometimes our survival can actually be improved if we understand the other person's position and we look at it as a way of bridging a gap. That's right. And I... I appreciate your point of view. I really do. Because you, everything you say comes from experience, practice, and probably a few mistakes. Or at More least than maybe, a few mistakes, yeah. And I call them mistakes. Some people call them you know, 
Well, I, failures or I think Jim uh, Rohn called them opportunities. Opportunities, okay, and that's 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 what I have as well. But but do you see the concept I'm trying to explain? That as a leader, you're also a coach, and as a coach, you have two choices: you can coach for compliance, or you can coach for compassion. Does that make sense? It makes sense because working in a business where you have supervisors that have individuals above them mm-hmm. who have already established a specific set of expectations. You have a structure that includes a measuring device. Yes. Call it a productivity report, call it a uh, performance appraisal, whatever you want to call it. It is a measure that has been established and that measure is how you're graded. It determines whether you get a raise, it determines whether you are meeting company expectations. It's funny, there's two terms that I have discussed, and as much as I know about them, I think they are still terribly misunderstood, and that is the difference between macro-management and micro-management. That's a big one. And because of that, I think in the coaching for compassion as opposed to compliance, those are a couple of things that have to do with the management style. But that management style, I think, is predicated upon the company's management approach. And is that a positive approach or is that an approach that is purely built upon my way or the highway? Wow. John, you have just revealed another dimension to this conversation. Macro management and micro management. Do you know that micro management is probably one of the single worst, single most destructive things you can do as a leader? Everything micro that I, management. Yeah. Everything I hear from people tells me that it is received in an extraordinarily negative way by the people who are subject to that style. Well, do you think that micromanagement has ever been popular or effective? Or do you think this is just a myth that we don't really know the history of business in this well, country? Well, I think micromanagement is nothing more than a word that was created to give some sense of credibility to a management style. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I think micromanagement is straightforward, outright, overbearing conduct towards your subordinates. Okay. I think it's almost dictatorial. Okay. There's like a, a mini kingdom in the building and in that section where this supervisor, let's say, has mini kingdom? a mini kingdom. <laughs> think funny. about it as a throne. Yeah. It's not a question of getting the team to work with you. You're the supervisor, therefore you sit on the throne. Therefore, yeah. you give the orders and you expect them to be done. So it becomes a tyranny. So when you say you give the orders, number one, it's not military. And yet, it has a military feel to it. Okay. But in military, they do have a rigid structure, right? Very rigid. And chain of command. Chain of command. What I have learned about U.S. military recently is that it's not that it's very rigid, and yes, there's a chain of command, it's not that you create orders, but maybe there's a different perspective to think about it. And what I have seen from research is that they say, ask and then inspire. Mm-hmm. Ask and inspire. Not that you give orders and have them take the skill or you know, figure out the way to do this, but ask and inspire. Do you think this is an interesting perspective? Well, I think in a military sense, 
Ask and inspire might be just a little bit too fluffy. Is it? And here's the reason why I say okay. that. Because in a military environment, there is a component of yeah. life and death. Yeah. And in a life and death situation because of conflict, where a nation's freedom or a section or an area's freedom or a people's welfare is being affected by individuals from the outside who represent an enemy, an enemy to the very existence of that nation, there must be this understanding of discipline in terms of life or death because if you don't follow orders, then the ultimate end is death. It's either death to the individuals who are taking the orders or it's death to the nation itself. So yes, but at the same time, I believe that there is a place in there to inspire individuals and I to think achieve it, a task. I mean the, the, I think it comes from the person of the leadership because yeah. I think a soldier, for example, who is a private or a corporal in an uh-huh. army group is going to be much more motivated by the fact that the sergeant that is giving them the orders and taking them through the drills and is working on training them to be spit and polish, you know, the best soldier they can be. The reason why is because they have walked that road already and they are in a position to be able to say i'm going to tell you a story this isn't to scare you this is to tell you that what you choose to do has consequences that go beyond just what you get or don't get that's right from it yeah that's what we call collateral damage and unintended consequences. Mm. So in a structure where there's sharp military discipline that is needed, you want to be sure that your men and women are equipped not just to follow orders, but they are equipped to know how to protect themselves and their fellow yes, soldiers. I, I recognize that. Um, I think it's good to have the constraints and uh, realization of consequences. What I was talking about, you will, if you inspire a unit of military to achieve a result, you ask them, this is the result that you need to get there. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind all of those consequences, all of those dire consequences of your decisions. Mm-hmm. But, you don't, but you inspire them. You inspire the individuals to achieve the goal together. You ask and inspire. And this inspiration, is I, I think, is yeah. important because some, yeah. of the great, some of the great battles of history, of antiquity, Uh involve inspiration, um, involve faith, involve believing in the dynamic leadership and the charisma of that leader. Uh, There was a series on the History Channel recently called Barbarians. Barbarians. Is Is that barbarians that touch upon Roman Empire? Yes, exactly. And what it was, was it was a look at these nations, these peoples, these Uh societies, Uh these cultures that were subjugated by the Romans because the Romans were conquerors. They they would go and conquer areas and annex them and make them part of their empire. empire, And it wasn't that, well, put it this way, everything was about making sure that 
Rome had all that it wanted and more. So Rome was decadent. They were opulent. They were wealthy. They were fat. They were all of these things because they didn't live off of what they produced. They live off of what they conquered. Yeah. And that's, that's what the, the model that worked for them for a long time. And in the series Barbarians, yeah. what we saw was we saw the personality of these by the way, they were called barbarians because that's what the Romans but they, named them. Okay, that's that's what it is. But in reality, they didn't think of themselves These as are real people, yeah. real groups of individuals. Yeah. They may not have had the same kind of education and yeah. knowledge and yeah. even the same type of military skills as yeah. the Roman army had. But what they were, they were real people who could bring together many different clans of people and many different groups and sections of people with different cultures, different dialects, different socioeconomic structures. And because of the dynamicism of this leader, they could rise up and create a pushback. And achieve a result. Mm -hmm. And achieve a result that was remarkable. Is that is that what you're trying to say? I want to understand where you uh, what are you painting the picture of? And it always had to do with a great leader okay. who had the fortitude and the knowledge and, and the vision. passion and, and the vision, vision to, create, to lead right? them into battle. So it's somebody who taps into diverse resources of the group, not pushes them away, but creates an environment where everyone can function and function in a way mm-hmm. to achieve a result. And with confidence. And with confidence. That's amazing. And I think every leader is a coach as well. Right. I mean, you have to. Well, I think that ties perfectly with your whole point of coaching, because here it's again, like you said, there's compassion there. Somebody would say this is war. There's no such thing as compassion. Excuse me. But if you see people being subjected to terrible, terrible things, some of the greatest stories of American history, if I can just talk about U.S. history, deal with people who had compassion for their fellow man and they saw where injustice was being done and whether it was slavery which was a terrible thing and injustice and dehumanizing there were individuals who spoke up and they spoke up loud enough and long enough and they were followed by others who learned and were inspired by their voice and they came and took up the gauntlet and continued forward with the battle until as you know the emancipation proclamation was first done and you can find all kinds of stories like that of people who sacrificed but in sacrificing they motivated people to rise up and know they could do something i want to highlight this word sacrifice but i want to take it in the in the effect of the organizational structure mm-hmm. there is research that says there is tangible and real effects of a sacrifice decision by a leader now leader is someone who connects people brings vision creates results and over time this demands Demands of regular stress. I mean, what what stress do we have in our life now? Those barbarians that had stress of, I don't know, disease and Roman Empire and natural disasters, right? But what stress do we have now in America? What stress do we have now in 21st century? What stress do we have now? And what is that stress? That stress may be, let's let's be specific. Or finances. Uh, Finances. Um, Problems at home. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Illness. Health. Health. Um, maybe something trivial as a commute. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Transportation. Transportation. That's Transportation. Sort of thing, yeah. um, also, somebody's behavior. Yeah, relationships. Relationships at work, um, in the community at, at large, maybe in a mm-hmm. nonprofit, and at home, right? right? So, all those stressors, what do they do to us? What do they do to us as a as someone who is in, in, in leadership position, what do they do to us? They can negatively affect us. They negatively affect, but they also reduce our ability to make good decisions. I agree. The work from Roy Baumeister, the one that we have talked about, I think, months ago, he was talking about willpower. Do you recall that? Mm-hmm. Roy Baumeister said there's only so much reservoir of energy that you have every day to make good decisions. Once that reservoir is depleted, your decision become increasingly poor. Same thing with this. When you have a sacrifice theory, when you try to bring people together, when you try to achieve the goal and you do the best that you can, mm-hmm. it takes away, it, it chips away from your ability to make good decisions. So what becomes really important is renewal cycle. Renewal cycle in a way that works for you where you... Uh, go ahead, because I want to Well, I was highlight. going to ask in a renewal cycle, is that yeah. something that you can do within a day where you've depleted your resources and you find a way to renew? Yes, and you and I think the key here is not to do it at the end of the week because, you are, first of all, at the end of the week you're tired. And renewal and rest are two different things. Mm-hmm. Before you can get renewal, you have to have rest, and then you find the renewal because we our bodies are limited in resources. Our bodies are amazing machines and you talk about in your podcast by the way i never noticed this is john morrow tune in his soundcloud and itunes which i love your podcast and i think there's a lot of value our bodies are amazing machines of thinking doing and accomplishing things but we have limited resources Mm -hmm. limited energy and renewal becomes important whatever renewal is for you you have to be active in it listen to the music have a pet stroke a pet Talk to the pet. Have a prayer to whoever you believe. And that's what it is. Uh, take a walk. Mm-hmm. Meditate just for 5-10 minutes. Give yourself a time or physical exercise because that will give you renewal energy. Because if you deplete yourself, you won't be able to lead anyone. And leadership starts with you first. John Maxwell, one of my mer- oh, very yeah. favorite leadership authors who wrote over 35 books, he says, all leadership starts with self-leadership. Before you can lead anyone, you have to lead you first. And that starts with cycle of renewal. Because once you deplete yourself, you will be good for nothing and for no one. Don't you think that's, that's true? I think it's absolutely true. And I remember Dr. Diane Longstreet yeah. was talking one time with you and I, and I think she mentioned this in a speech that she gave at a Toastmasters club in Lakeland. Yes. And she mentioned we need to permit ourselves, we need to allow ourselves Mm -hmm. to set aside a time of rest. And what is a time of rest? For her, she said, it's when I set aside my goals, my expectations, my obligations and all the things that I must do in order to take care of life, home, family, business, career, 
said, I need to have the time to allow my body to recharge its batteries. And that's not just a component of sleeping. She said, that's a component of literally ridding your mind of the stresses of your daily routine and giving yourself a chance to enjoy things which create the production of endorphins in your body. That's right. And endorphins are those feel-good, pain-relieving, make-you-better adrenal fluids that permeate your body and help you to feel restored and reinvigorated and re-energized and recharged. Exactly. This work that we're talking about right now, cycle of renewal and depletion and sacrifice uh, sacrifice effect comes from Dr. Richard Boyatzis. He is a professor of organizational psychology at Case Western Reserve University. I have been following his work for the last four and a half years. He created something called intentional change theory. Intentional change theory that is based on other people's theory and basically it has five stages. First, you think about what is your ideal self? How do you see yourself in the world? How do you, are you a contributor? Are you a volunteer? Are you a leader? The second stage is reality, your real self. First, you thought this is how you want to be or how, what is your ideal self when you function at your best. Now you confront who you really are. And then you confront who you really are. And then you see the differences. Mm-hmm. The third discovery in his theory is uh, what are your strengths? What are your strengths? And you focus on your strength. This comes from the positive psychology movement, which has taken the America by storm in the last 10 to 12 years. And then fourth discovery is how can you create relationships? Who was there for you when you function at your best? And what the lessons here is what did those people say to you? Mm-hmm. What did they do to you? What, how did they create an environment where you thrived? And finally is how can you bring it all together? This is the intentional change. How can you bring it all together? How can you bring it all together? This ah, is the okay. intentional change theory from Richard Boyatzis, which I do respect. He also talks about positive emotional attractors, negative emotional attractors. Mm-hmm. He says when you provide evaluation to an employee or to a team member, you need negative feedback to survive but you need positive feedback to thrive and there's a ratio maybe three to one um, three positive to one negative or six positive to one negative because it's very important how you create the interaction with others you need negative you need negative to make sure that the person can adjust course they need to know what they need to correct but you give them something positive to help them have the desire to correct exactly and we can pick this up again at the next episodes because okay. we have a it's lot a great more. topic i i i want to revisit it because you've opened up a, a great area for myself as well as for your listeners mm-hmm. about leadership as a far more personal and far more intimate intimate and caring thing mm-hmm. And some would say, well, we don't need this feel-good stuff. And I I disagree completely. I think we need to have connectivity through respect for each other's feelings, but with an understanding that if I'm going to be successful as a leader, I am only as successful as the success of the people I'm responsible for leading. Yes. So their success hinges on my ability to to move them in a positive direction. In a sustained direction way right you, you want, this is sustained and what, a, what we're going to pick up next time is specific t- techniques specific methods and oh that's going to be great 
folks plan to bring your notebook because you're going to take <laughs> notes. It, it, th- because this is based on evidence and research, and we know that this works. And it, one of the best ways to test it is take the information and then try it. And I will see you next time because this is the podcast of Speak Brave and where we build leadership skills with conversations that inspire and we're not afraid. And John, I could not have done this podcast without you. Thank you, my friend. It's been my And I'll pleasure. see you next time. And don't forget to speak brave.